Your customer's data privacy is important, but so is personalization. Learn how to balance both so you can optimize your ad performance and scalability with Adobe and Meta. Adobe's real-time customer data platform collects and aggregates customer data across channels, helping you build actionable, unified customer profiles. Meta Conversions API creates a direct connection between your marketing data and marketing systems. This helps you better measure results and improve your ad targeting within Meta technologies. Find out more at unlockmarketingdata.com. Increase conversion rates and create privacy-safe targeted ads. Adobe and Meta give you the tools to future-proof your data strategy to go beyond third-party cookies. Visit unlockmarketingdata.com to get started. This message is brought to you by our sponsor, Microsoft Advertising. Microsoft Advertising is transforming from their search routes to become an end-to-end ad tech powerhouse. Discover exciting new ways to grow and connect with audiences through consumer experiences like generative AI that redefine how audiences find answers on the open web. And thanks to their data-driven solutions, you can connect with audiences at their most receptive moments across search, display, native, video, connected TV, and retail media. Connect with exclusive Microsoft and partner placements with brands like LinkedIn, Netflix, generative AI-powered Edge, and Xbox, and reach your audience anywhere their journey takes them. Be there when it counts the most. Visit MicrosoftAdvertising.com to learn how Microsoft Advertising can help you get real results and grow. Discover a new world of advertising possibilities with Microsoft Advertising. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the AIQ podcast. I am your host, Kathy Hackle. In this limited series podcast, we're helping individuals get started or up-leveled when it comes to AI. We want people to get a better AIQ. Get it? So welcome to the AIQ podcast by Adweek, sponsored by Microsoft. In this first podcast, we will interview Jenny Nicholson, who is someone I have worked with closely to create GPTs. She will share all the golden nuggets on how to get started with AI, why you should look at curiosity more than fear, and how you can start thinking about GPTs. Before we get started with our expert interview, I did want to talk a little bit about some of the things on the horizon when it comes to AI and some of the top trends that we're noticing when it comes to the conversation around artificial intelligence. This year, we will see different things up on the horizon. For example, lots of conversations around ethical AI, governance, and potential regulation. Also, a lot of conversations around the proliferation of deep fakes, not only across social media, but also related to the upcoming elections across the world and specifically in the United States. We will continue to see an increase in industry-specific cases of AI and how generative AI is starting to be used across multiple sectors, including the advertising industry, which we'll be hearing a lot more on how Microsoft Advertising is bringing generative AI to a lot of brands. A particular trend that is definitely on the rise as well is research into new model architectures on the race to artificial general intelligence. And this is really interesting because it's not only about the conversation around large language models or LLMs, but you're starting to see the evolution of large action models, which is something that a company called Rabbit is doing, as well as large vision models, which is something related more to computer vision and how some of these new devices are starting to perceive the world. Another point of interest is definitely the role that blockchain, for example, could play with AI in being able to create provenance and being able to create a way for us to truly and securely trust what we are seeing. 
it's still early days when it comes to blockchain and AI, but a lot of people in the blockchain and AI community are definitely starting to think about this. And then on a longer term horizon, you have the conversation of quantum computing and what the impact of quantum will be with generative AI. This message is from Microsoft Advertising, our sponsor. Microsoft Advertising offers a unique way to advertise your business with their AI-powered ad tech solutions. These solutions go beyond advertising on Bing and include display, native video, connected TV, and retail media. Connect with Microsoft and partner properties anywhere on the open web. It's time to see real growth with Microsoft Advertising. Visit microsoftadvertising.com to learn how you can connect with new audiences and get real results. So now let's dig into our expert interview. We're talking to Jenny Nicholson about her use of artificial intelligence. All right. Um, I'm, I'm joined by someone that I have been actually working with to create um, some GPTs with that I find brilliant, that is always, always has her pulse on everything that's happening in the, in the industry. Um, she's one of my go-tos, really, when I'm thinking about AI and everything that's happening in generative AI specifically. So Jenny Nicholson, welcome to AIQ. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So uh, for folks that might not have come across your name, and many have, but those that haven't, can you tell folks about who you are and what you do? And then maybe tell us a little bit about how you went down the generative AI, you know, rabbit hole in a great way. Yeah. I So I have uh, been an advertising creative for almost 20 years. I really got into doing interactive work um, sort of in the early 2010s. This idea that I could make things that I could actually see people using, that I could understand how they were impacting people. Once I got a little taste of that, it was hard to go back from that. Um, you know, I've always had a lot of ideas. Uh, and, you know, before AI, I would have an idea. And if I wanted to get it made, I would have to go find somebody to help me. I'd go have to get a developer who would help me make it. And, and developers felt like they had this black magic ability that I couldn't access. And so as soon as large language models like GPT came along, I immediately was like, this is amazing. I can now make all of the things in my head into reality way, 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 way faster than I ever could before. And that was super thrilling to me. And you have been really doing a lot of work in this space, working with a lot of companies, you know, uh, advising a lot of folks on, on, on how to use generative AI. Like, what are some of the things that you're seeing in the landscape right now? Uh, when when it comes to generative AI and how folks are using it? Like, what are they using it for? You know, I think a lot of times people are using it to try to do what they do, but faster. Mm -hmm. And I always tell people that that is the exact wrong thing to use it for. Right now, if you're a subject matter expert in something, what you do, you're going to be really good at. And I like to use AI and large language models to help me with the things that I'm not as great at. You know, it's, it's, I always say that the way that we're taught to use computers does us a disservice when it comes to working with large language models, because we kind of get in this mindset of issuing commands, do this for me, write this for me, output this for me. And it's actually much more effective if you start by asking a question. Right. So you can say, you know, I'm trying to do this this report. What are what are five frameworks that maybe I haven't even heard of that would help me do it more effectively? And then, you know, the large language model will be like, oh, well, here's five. And of those five, two, I've never even heard of. And so I'll be like, OK, well, let's apply, you know, 
framework number four and see how that works. And so I think that's that's the, the thing that's most exciting to me is not using these tools as human replacements, but using them to augment our own knowledge, our own perspectives, our own curiosity, our own creativity. You know, in the process of, of working with large language models, I have learned so much about philosophy, about ontology, about semantics, um, that I just never would have learned. And I think that's that's really interesting. You don't have to give up your own mind in order to be really successful with these tools. And I see a lot of people who are hesitant to try them out because they're they're not quite sure what to expect. And so I just try to tell people it's not scary. Ask questions, be curious, and see what happens. And I love that because I feel like a lot of people start with that delegating, right? Delegate, delegate, delegate. Like the, we as humans tend to delegate, right? Um, and I love your perspective on being curious and asking questions and learning from this, right? Um, it's almost like we're expanding our way of thinking by using these tools. Do you agree? I 100% agree. One of the things I tell people all the time is that over the next few years, curiosity is going to be the most important skill and attribute a person could have because we're rapidly getting to a place where knowing how to do something really well, not really, not really that useful, but, but having a mindset of, I don't know, but I bet I could find out that mindset has served me incredibly well for my entire career. That's a mindset I've always hired for. And I think it's a mindset that is only going to get more important and more needed over the next couple of years. And when you talk to people and they say, okay, AI, generative AI is going to take creativity to the next level, right? Or people that say, oh, it's going to steal all our all that we've created and it's just, you know, parroting uh, what we created. Like, where do you, where are you in that scale of like, this is going to unleash creativity to this is stealing our data, like information that we, that we shared? Yeah. I mean, the way that I think about large language models specifically, and that's where a lot of my experience is in, is it's really it's really the human collective. It's the collective knowledge and education and perspective of all of us. And so, you know, it's very tempting to treat it as this foreign oracle, but that's really what it is. It's, you know, it used to be you could only get information from people who were in like talking range of you. And then books came out and you could get information if you could access the book, right? And then, you know, other technologies come, the internet comes. I can now access information from anybody all over the world, but I'm limited to my own ability to browse, search, read, go here, go there. And now it's like we've taken all of that knowledge and sort of brought it all together to bring it all to you. So in my mind, it feels like a very natural evolution of what we were doing with the internet. I mean, I think it'll be a really interesting next couple of years because a lot of a lot of our our culture is built on the the preciousness of information and the preciousness of knowledge and the protection of knowledge and information. And what does it mean to be in a world where anything that you make with AI can't be copyrighted? Yeah, I mean that's definitely a big question I think we're going to hear a lot from in the courts this year. Yeah. Honestly, so to I think it's, out. I think it's, you know, I understand why people are upset. I understand why they're freaked out. I think I'm a pragmatist. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, me not liking this, me feeling a little bit nervous about some of the like copyright concerns is not going to make this tool go away. It's not going to make this technology go away. If I don't learn how to use it, then it is going to be used 
on me instead <laughs> of by me. And if I can pick between something being used on me and something being used by me, I'm yeah. 100% going to pick by me every time. <laughs> I'm with you on that one. <laughs> Um, so one of the reasons that I came to you was because I wanted to see if we could create a an executive career coach, right? I had done some little minor things with GPTs, creating my own GPT, but nothing major. And I was like, okay, who's the expert? Who can I really work with to take this to the next level and like really create something amazing? And I came to you. Um, maybe tell folks a little bit about you know, what you created and how it all kind of came about. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because it's a it's a helpful story about what you can do. And it's also a helpful story about how the training data of the model impacts its performance. So I created a persona for you, Kathy, called Jordan Maxwell, whose job <laughs> was to be an executive career coach. And at first, the the persona's job was was really focused on like on like navigating the job market. And I became it became clear really quickly that a lot of the information in the training data on navigating the job market is targeted more to people who are looking for mid-level jobs, right? When you get to the level of experience, expertise, and success that you've had, Kathy, oh, congratulations. <laughs> I realized that the that the job that Jordan Maxwell needed to do was a little bit different. So it ended up moving Jordan Maxwell's role and perspective and skill set from being less about how does one navigate the job market to be more about how can this amazingly talented woman working in a male dominated tech field navigate some of the tricky scenarios and situations that come with working at this level of experience and expertise. And that's when it started to get super mm -hmm. interesting and helpful. And so I think that kind of points to something. One, sometimes people just make something and they'll be like, well, I got it. That's awesome. And it's really important when you're working with these things to actually take the time. And it's hard sometimes because ChatGPT will be like, here's five paragraphs. But it's really critical to actually look at what you're getting and critically interrogate what you're getting and recognize that if you're not getting what you want, you can change what you're telling it to do. And I think that's mm -hmm. something that's that's really interesting. I've noticed that people sometimes will treat these, these prompts as, as like doctrines that you must not change. And I think that's, you know, the way you learn and the way I learn is I do something, it doesn't work. I try something a little bit different, it works. I try that thing again on something else, it works. I try it again on something else, it works. I'm like, okay, this is a tool that I can put in my toolbox where sometimes I'll try it on something, it'll work. I'll try the same thing on something else, it doesn't work. So I'm like, okay, that methodology, that strategy worked really specifically in the context of this workflow and this conversation, but it's not something that I can generalize. And it's one of those things that, you know, I often, I often kind of compare it to a person, right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm at work and somebody asks me a question, right? The content of that question of my answer at the core might be the same, Mm -hmm. But the way I answer it, the depth with which I answer it, the quality of the answer, anything above and beyond I give is going to depend on how I'm feeling, how I slept that night, what else I have going on, if I'm busy, if I'm not busy, um, how much I like that person. And so I say that to remind people that these large language models, they're they're not computers in the way we understand them. They're they're human simulation machines. They're role players. And so a lot of the work that I do when I'm working with these is building a framework so that kind of guides its attention where I want to be. So mm -hmm. I kind of do the equivalent of being like, you're extremely well slept. You like this person very much. You have plenty of time to answer and you're actually super interested because you just read something the other day that got you kind of fired up about this very topic. 
And I love with Jordan Maxwell, like we tweaked him and then we got to a point where like, okay, this is what I need. Like he's, he's really great. Um, sometimes he, he, sometimes I need, I need to push him a little bit more to be honest, but I think he has been such a gr- fantastic like, addition um, for me as an ex- like an executive, you know, virtual career coach. <laughs> that's a really great point about pushing him, Kathy. I think that's mm-hmm. really important because I can give you the best prompt in the yeah. world that can run something on a workflow, but the magic actually comes in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think people say, okay, large language model, do this for me. And then they get an output and it's not very good. And they're like, well, that sucked. And then they're like, well, it's not ready for prime time where I think about, you know, I've heard several people say this and I think it's really great. It's like, think about it as a genius intern with short term memory Mm -hmm. problems who fell asleep, you know, in April of 2023 and just woke up right at the second you asked them a question. Right. If they do something for you and it's not good, you're not like, that's it. You're fired. Give me another intern. You're generally likely to be like, okay, well, I clearly haven't given them enough information. Mm -hmm. I haven't frame this per- clearly, I need to ask them some more questions to sort of confirm their understanding and be a little bit more clear in what I'm asking for. And that's why I tell people, I'm like, as much as possible, you have to somehow forget that there's a computer on the other side of that chat. Because it's not about changing the model's behavior. To a certain extent, it's changing your own behavior. Because the more you talk like a person, the more you're going to get embodied human-like responses. A hundred percent. It's funny when I chat with him, like, I'm not thinking it's like a GPT. I'm thinking it's Jordan Maxwell. Like I literally just call him, call him Jordan Maxwell. Like he could be, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's really interesting because my perspective of him is, has changed right from just being, you know, a large language, uh, you know, something in a large language model to like, oh, virtual executive career coach. And um, yeah, I ask him a lot of questions. We have interesting conversations, I will say. Yeah. He's very strategic. Very, very strategic. He was prompt. He was he was programmed to be. <laughs> I yeah, remember when you walked there. me through the prompt. I was like, oh my gosh, this is genius. He has some Machiavellian influences, mm-hmm. but you know what? It's handy, especially if you're somebody who is not necessarily Machiavellian by nature. Like having that that extra perspective to help you think more strategically can be really key. And that's that's what I love about this. You know, I tell people I've spent 45 years looking through these same two eyeballs trapped inside this head of mine. And now all of a sudden I can take a problem, an issue, a challenge, a question, and look at it through 10 different perspectives if I want to. And I think that's really, really, really freaking cool. (laughs) It is pretty awesome. And when you're working with, you know, with individuals or companies and doing all sorts of things, what are some of the challenges that you're seeing? You mentioned some of them like briefly, but what are some of the challenges that you think uh, that you're seeing when you're working with folks? Um, I think there's, there's, you know, the first and fundamental one is fear. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big one. Um, and I spend a lot of my time and energy trying to get people to go from a place of being scared to being curious. You know, like I said, curiosity <laughs> will always serve you well. Um, another one is, like I said, the tendency to issue commands instead of asking questions. It takes a pretty big fundamental mind shift to get yourself from issuing commands to a computer to asking a model what you should do. That's a very, that's a kind of a big mind shift, but it's, it's a, it's a, it's a big one. So teaching people to sort of go from commands to questions. Mm -hmm. And then I think it's, you know, often one of the things I hear is I don't have time to learn this. I don't have time to learn this. And I'm like, understood. But Ethan Mollick, one of the leading sort of thinkers in kind of using this at an individual level to um, 
optimize your productivity and your performance mm-hmm. is he says it takes about 10 hours for you to really understand what a large language model like GPT can do for you. But once you get it, it's so helpful and handy. So getting people to really take the risk. And I tell people often, if you have Google set as your um, default tab, when you open a new tab in your browser, if it's set to Google, just change it so that it's set to GPT or Perplexity or BART or whatever your large language model of choice is and try to get yourself into the habit of using it. Because the more you build the habit, the more you see what's possible, the more you start thinking about different ways to use it, and the more you start getting done, and it, it kind of goes on from there. The way I always tell people is that it's not its not like learning to use a program. It's mm-hmm. not like learning to use Photoshop, where I can give you a tutorial, and if you follow this exact tutorial every time, it's going to come out exactly the same. Mm-hmm. The way that I like to tell people is it's almost like teaching people how to use a pencil. You know, I can oh, teach that's you a great analogy. Yeah. What pencil's made of. I can show you how to sharpen it. I can show you how the eraser works. I can show you what happens if you press too lightly. I can show you what happens if you press too hard. Um, I can show you some shading and some stippling, but like what you do with that pencil mm-hmm. is so personal and individual to you, right? Because a pencil can be everything from jotting down a grocery list to doing a super detailed, beautiful, hyper-realistic portrait of somebody. That's such a fantastic analogy because it is. I feel like everyone has like a different experience and different journey they go through when they're using these tools, right? And we use them for many different purposes. And that's um, what's really hard is people yeah. are like, but what do I do with it? Whatever you want, right? And that's that's really hard for people. <laughs> that is really hard, right? As a creative person, I know the worst brief to get in the world from a brand is do something cool. <laughs> You're like, yeah, <laughs> but... Right. So one of the things I tell people is I'm like, just start by saying, here's what I have to take the thing that you're putting off the most, the thing that you most don't want to do in your day and just open up a large language model and into the chat say, here's what I have to do today. I really don't feel like doing it. How and where can you help me the most? Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Like you don't have to know how it can help you. You just have to be willing Mm -hmm. and curious enough to ask. Yeah. I love that. It moving from, you know, from in, from saying telling it to do something to asking to having that curiosity, right? To ask and 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 try to try to find ways it can help you. I love that. Well, yeah, and recognize that it can help you with things. This is another thing mm-hmm. I see a lot. Like it can help you with things that have nothing to do with AI. You don't have to just talk to it about making things mm-hmm. that it makes for you. So, for example, like I don't have a ton of experience um with Google Sheets, mm-hmm. right? I wanted to make something for a client that was very complicated, that had Google Forms, that went to Google Sheets, that had pivot tables, that optimized things, that did all of this stuff. Had no idea how to do it, but I was able to build this very complicated uh, Google Sheet ecosystem just because I asked ChatGPT. <laughs> if something went wrong, I was like, Ugh. you know, I didn't even know like Google scripts were a thing. I didn't know you could do these pretty high powered automations inside Google Sheets. Mm-hmm until GBT told me, A, told me that it existed, B, told me what I could do with it, and C, whenever there was an error, it told me how to fix it. And so I think that's what's really exciting is that if I have enough patience mm-hmm. and I'm willing to ask enough dumb questions and put the time into it, like, I can do pretty much anything. Yeah. So when I've, I've asked everyone on, on, on the, that I've interviewed for this podcast about some AIQ nuggets, right? The whole the whole mission of this podcast is to raise raise everyone's AIQ a little bit, right? So you shared a lot of really amazing things, but maybe what are some 
two or three golden nuggets that people can take to raise their, their AIQ today? Yep. Number one, stop issuing commands. Start asking questions. Number two, don't try to use it to do your job better. Use it to surround your knowledge with all the knowledge and expertise you don't have. Use it to multiply yourself and your perspectives. And then I think the last thing is learn, instead of learning AI, I think there's this tendency to be like, well, I have to learn AI so I can be competitive, so I can do this, so I can do that, blah, 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 blah. I always tell people, think about something you want to make, think about something you want to do, and then say, okay, how can AI, how can large language models, how can all of these tools help me make this thing? That's amazing. And when you look at the future, right, that's ahead, um, you know, with the convergence of all these different technologies and the advancements that are happening in AI, like, what are you excited about, Jenny? You know, I'm really excited just you know, we're living in a world where I couldn't tell you in five years what the world's going to look like, which is really scary and in some ways really exciting. I talk to people about this a lot that, you know, when they're when they're afraid of AI, I think what they're really afraid of is an inherently unknowable future. Mm -hmm. If you think about most of our lives, right, over the last century, you could look at any given year and like two years out, you could kind of have an idea of what it was going to look like, right? You could kind of have an idea. And now all of a sudden we're in this world where two years from now can look like anything from exactly like we are now to like the robots have taken over and we're all just like grist for their mill and they're making paper clips out of us. (laughs) And so I think recognizing that 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 inherent fear of the unknown Mm-hmm. is what's actually underlying some of the fear around this technology. It's not that this technology is scary. It's it's that we're facing an, a future that we don't know what it's going to look like, which can be scary. But I think it's really exciting because I tell people, I'm like, okay, let's just like take a little look at how far humans have gotten, yeah. right? I'm like, like, let's look at a wor- our world right now. I'm like, okay, climate's burning down, wars all over the place, political divisions everywhere, social media, like like jacking up our attention spans everybody's more depressed than ever so there's a part of me that's like you know what like bring on another perspective bring on some like (laughs) robot masters who might have a different perspective and I think the thing that's really really exciting to me is when you spend enough time with these large language models even the open source ones that don't Mm -hmm. have the same kind of steering and guardrails and fine-tuning that the commercial ones do there's this sense at the core of them, this this deep fundamental perspective that everything is connected, but we're just too like ego-driven to see it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really beautiful. I love this idea of a world where maybe we see and understand in a much deeper and more meaningful way that like we're connected to everyone and everything, to the past, to the future, to the animals, <laughs> to the trees in a like way deeper in more meaningful way than I think sometimes we realize. Kind of corny, but I really, I really believe that. No, it's a great, great way to end. I mean, that was amazing. And I think all our listeners are going to take so much from this conversation. I already have. And I mean, I've worked with you on Jordan Maxwell, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm already like super inspired. Um, so Jenny, how can folks get connected to you? Like if they want to like learn more about what you're doing, where can they find you? Um, you can find my sort of AI education uh, offering at futuresessions.io. 
Uh, and you can also find me on LinkedIn. Uh, ever since Twitter went away, uh, LinkedIn has just become my dominant platform. Apologies to anybody who follows me because I've really embraced the tweet on LinkedIn <laughs> approach. I, I feel you, definitely. So thank you so much for being on AIQ. Thank you so much for having me. I hope that this first episode of AIQ has helped you up-level your AIQ. And I hope that Jenny's interview and all the information we're starting to share in this limited series podcast can help you up-level your... This message is from Microsoft Advertising, our sponsor. Microsoft Advertising offers a unique way to advertise your business with their AI-powered ad tech solutions. These solutions go beyond advertising on Bing and include display, native video, connected TV, and retail media. Connect with Microsoft and partner properties anywhere on the open web. It's time to see real growth with Microsoft Advertising. Visit microsoftadvertising.com to learn how you can connect with new audiences and get real results. AIQ.